Hey everyone, if you like this podcast, go behind the paywall to get privileged access to the smartest minds in finance. Join the Real Vision community and learn how to become a better investor. Visit realvision.com slash rvpod and use the promo code podcast10, that's podcast10, to get 10% off our essential membership for the first year. Now, to the top analysis of today's crypto markets. Hey guys, welcome back. We've got a great show for you today. Tinyo Lehes, co-founder and managing director of Swarm is with us and Philip Piper, co-founder and CEO of Swarm join us. Guys, welcome to the Daily Briefing Crypto. Thanks for being here. Well, it's wonderful to have you. Listen, we've got a lot to talk about, a lot happening in the news cycle, but before we do that, I want to take a look at price real quick. Let's check in with Bitcoin. Bitcoin uh, down on the trailing 24-hour basis, about 3.5%, 3.64% on my screen, seven days off about 6%. Uh, significant decline there. We're going to talk about that in just a second. Ethereum down about 3.5% on a trailing 24-hour basis, seven days uh, down about just over 4%. Uh, there's a lot going on in these markets here that I want to talk about that I think is important for people to understand uh, in terms of what's happening. Spot trading volumes at Binance have been cut in half uh, down nearly 50% in April. This according to data from CC Data as reported by Coindesk. Coindesk also reporting that spot trading volumes more generally on centralized exchanges have fallen over 40% in the last 30 days. So some substantial declines in trading volume, decline in liquidity. I also want to zoom this in uh, to something that happened yesterday, uh, talking of volume and liquidity issues. You can see there on that chart from Bloomberg. Uh, just as we were wrapping up the show yesterday, Bitcoin plunged about 5%. Uh, it dipped below 27,000 briefly, just as we were wrapping the show yesterday. I want to read this quote by Bloomberg to inform exactly those points. While trading volume surged during crypto markets' first quarter price rebound, a closer examination shows that volume is the lowest in several years after a series of an industry scandals bankruptcies and tightening. Here's the point that's really interesting that uh, Bloomberg is reporting. That has led to a pullback in activity from Jane Street Group and Jump Crypto, two of the world's top market-making firms. That a quote from Bloomberg. Uh, a lot going on here. Bitcoin right now on my screen, 27,139. Ethereum, 1806. Uh, listen, we've got a lot going on. We've got We've got meme coin mania. Uh, we've got the aggregate market cap of BRC20 token surpassing $1 billion for the first time. Guys, before we get into what you guys are doing at Swarm, because it's very interesting to me, I'm always interested in regulated products. What's happening right now in the markets overall? Yeah, I think there's a couple of things we're seeing. I mean, you know, there's obviously a bunch of stuff going on with Bitcoin which is kind of, let's call it new type of activity that we haven't seen before. So it kind of started out with the, you know, the ordinals kind of implementation and that phenomenon. And then, you know, BRC20 kind of building on that. And then all of a sudden there's like this whole conversation about like what Bitcoin should be used for and, 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 and why and why it's kind of having a little bit of its crypto kitty moment now is kind of, you know, take us back to 2017. Exactly something similar happened to Ethereum at the time. So, yeah, I think there's like some, some kind of, you know, um, effects of that the nature that we're seeing and then obviously but i think the bigger factors are what you just described with the you know the reduction in liquidity out in the market and like it just becomes absolutely much more volatile as a result of that so i think you know those are all contributing factors very well said let's define brc20 token for folks who may not be familiar with that particular bit of jargon obviously this is a a bitcoin based blockchain 
and it is a standard fungible token uh, that is being used uh, for ordinals and other types of projects. Let's talk a little bit about what some of the use cases are there. How do you guys see BRC20 tokens more generally? You know, we haven't built on any. We haven't built on it at all. It's obviously very novel. Um, I think we want to kind of take a little bit of a wait and see approach there uh, to see kind of where that you know where that goes. Um, you know, I think we're you know we we actually left the Ethereum network for Polygon um, about a year ago uh, just because we had issues with the gas fees on Ethereum. So we've already kind of made one move into an environment where transaction fees were lower. So I think. I think we're just going to kind of sit and wait and see what happens. What I'm surprised about is the number of, you know, uh, BRC20s that have been created. I read a number uh, yesterday that there's like 7,500 BRC20 tokens being created or some, something of that order, which I, you know, sounds like a very high number. I'm not surprised that, you know, there's a lot of activity that's kind of bogging down the network right now. Well, you know, it sort of reminds me about what we're seeing here in, in Pepe, uh, obviously, which has been pretty volatile, crashing 70% from all-time highs, uh, rocketing up, rocketing down. Uh, these just, in many cases, seem like technologies in search of a use case. Uh, is that too cynical, guys? Yeah, I think, I think first of all, like, let's, let's BRC20, first of all, I think there's another comment to be made. I think it's the first time that actually the Taproot, um, Taproot chain has actually sort of been in function and actually at volume. And I think it's it's very visible right now that it's actually sort of disrupting a lot of the sort of the way that Bitcoin actually works. And uh, miners are celebrating this, right? Because there's an additional miner revenue. But I think that, you know, a lot of the you know, basic use cases of actually transaction fees being too high are being disrupted. If you if you look at, you know, you know, people from El Salvador that suddenly have, you know, for any kind of $20 transaction, they incur $20 in transaction fees. That's obviously not healthy to actually sustain sort of a functioning blockchain for which the Bitcoin blockchain has been built. You know, so I think it's there's a there's a general like conversation amongst the communities to have like how how useful that is. But you know what? It's 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 fair game. Everyone's playing around, and I think there's you know an extension of NFT mania last year. I think there's just a a new discovery that is being made, and now we have to test how that's going to play out from a community perspective, but also from a you know, from an appeal perspective, what it really delivers over time. Uh, with meme coins, I think, you know, we've always seen, obviously seen, you know, everything from Doge to Shiba and everything. So how could we have all missed Pepe as a main meme in the space, right? I think it's, it's pretty phenomenal that now it's coming up. Um, it has its certain communities that are following this. And, you know, I think in a, in a market that had much of sideways, sideways movement, it's obviously something that is welcomed by you know people to play around with. So, you know, it's a it's another gamification of you know of something that the space loves. Whether that has long term value or not is up to the side for the communities to to engage there. Um, so, yeah, but we'll what, see. But what exactly, like talking about Pepe, what exactly is the use case here uh, for a coin with uh, five leading zeros before the decimal point, uh, other than to sell it back to someone at a higher price than you paid for it? I'm not gonna. I'm gonna, gonna give you any kind of additional use case because I don't see one. But uh, I think it's fun. I think it's something that people then decide that they want to be entertained by and just basically sort of you know kick back and forth. And then there's people that benefit from that. But you know whether that actually fulfills its use is is a is a big question mark. But you know it's a space that is sort of you know that's a culture um, culture aspect of the space. And, you know, we'll, we'll see whether that actually sustains over time. I, I don't think it's going to be something long-term. Yeah. And Anybody I think, to add, please. Yes. I have like one observation is like, you know, I, I kind of met the, uh, Doge community manager, um, if you will, about a year ago. 
And his view was basically like, well, you know, once there's sufficient kind of interest and momentum behind, you know, a meme coin, that's when you can start forming a community and actually start doing something with it. So that's almost like, you know, there's like a reverse order of things here where there's like, first you drum up a bunch of, you know, uh, activity and hype and, and attention around a, co a meme coin. And then maybe, maybe somebody has like, you know, the willingness to kind of create like a direction, which is interesting to people and then create some use out of it. But it's like, it's all very kind of obviously speculative at the beginning, and it's right. very uncertain that anything tangible uh, will come out of it at all um, in so, the end. So. so in other words, you build the community, you build the market capitalization, you build the awareness, and then in theory, uh, you graft on a use case once you essentially have a kind of critical mass. I mean, I guess the only question I would have for that uh, is, has that model ever worked in the past? Is there an example uh, that we can point to to show a success from that model? No, I think there's like, I think Doge is the one that came the closest so far, but I think the answer is no. Yeah. Listen, talking of which, it's really interesting to me what you guys are doing, because in many ways, uh, what you guys are working on is the opposite end uh, of the spectrum from where meme coins sit. Uh, this regulated markets, the idea of tokenizing uh, actual assets that are securities and then trading them uh, in a way that is regulated under, in your case, German law. But tell us a little bit about the project. What do you guys do? How did you guys get into this? And what problem were you looking to solve? So we we from we started engaging in the space in 2015, 16, and we're sort of side sideways observers and a little bit of investors in the space. But um, actually from the get-go, both Timo and myself had backgrounds in the financial markets, and we were basically always thinking about how to use the single source of truth that the blockchain offers, as well as through the instant settlements to actually improve, you know, things on the in the financial markets. So from the get-go, we're looking at sort of how to do tokenization of different values that are off-chain. Today they're called real-world assets, but you know, over time they were called security tokens, they were called digital securities, all sorts of different names for it. The, um, you know, obviously that was not something that was doable in certain regulatory environments. And then, you know, long story short, actually then in 2020, suddenly Germany came along and actually became a, a very forward leaning, very holistically defining jurisdiction of what you can do, and not just with utilities, utility tokens and with payment tokens, but also with security tokens. And so we jumped all in and said, well, what if we could bring real world assets that are known that are basically valued outside of the blockchain ecosystem and, and make them one part, one Lego piece of the of the world within the blockchain space? So basically turning them into Lego pieces that are usable within DeFi and, you know, that are available for those people and those communities that are used to actually working with the blockchain and with wallets, et cetera, et cetera. So we just launched actually sort of, you know, a couple months ago, we launched actually the ability to tokenize any kind of public stock and bond. We started with uh, Apple stock and with, um, you know, Tesla, as well as we got a few T-bills. We're now extending that by another set of seven different, uh, you know, securities. But, you know, the goal here is actually to bring collateral and to bring assets into the space that obviously then are usable to either back stable coins or to be available as investable units when someone wants to sort of escape the crypto volatility. So it's just another piece in the puzzle that I think is going to be quite critical. And it's obviously going to bring new use cases to these securities and other way around, it's going to bring DeFi and trading models that we're used to in blockchain, maybe to security trading. Hey, everyone, we're going to take a quick pause and hear a word from our partners. We'll be right back. 
So let's talk about what you guys have already done because it's incredibly interesting, the tokenization of real-world assets. I don't know why they chose RWA. It sounds like risk-weighted assets to me. Uh, <laughs> terrible acronym. But let's talk a little bit. This is an industry thing we should point out, not uh, a swarm decision. But let's talk a little bit about what you guys have done uh, in terms of tokenizing uh, Apple uh, stock, Tesla stock. And I, I believe the bonds that you've tokenized, and correct me if this isn't right, uh, you've, tra you've tokenized essentially ETFs. Uh, that uh, that traded, I think it's the iShares U.S. Treasury bond zero through one year and iShares U.S. Treasury one through three year that you guys have tokenized. Correct. And I, I think like one of the key aspects here was like, well, certainly against the backdrop of 2022, it's very important like how you actually implement the real world assets on chain. So, you know, how do you ensure that there's a transparency all the way through from, you know, whatever number of circulating tokens that are out there is actually matched by a one-to-one -one mapping to a real world assets in the underlying whatever like custodial environment you have. So we chose to build it in such a way that like basically we have Apple shares and Tesla shares and other and these bond ETFs sitting in an institutional brokerage uh, custody account. And then against that account balance, we're then um, issuing the number of tokens that, you know, for which there are a number of shares outstanding. Uh, we're issuing the number of tokens on chain. So it's basically with the idea that anyone could at any, any given point in time go and verify that the underlying assets are there which we think is super important given like what happened last year and all the kind of the issues around collateral, um, you know, not being there or not having the expected value, what have you, where here right. we have like completely uncorrelated, well, I shouldn't say completely, by and large uncorrelated, you know, assets that have very deep liquidity on the other side. So if you look at it, like basically the way that we kind of think about this is like the digitization of public stocks and bonds basically provides a 24-7 capability to trade and settle, instantly right. settle these trades, right? So that's really cool. Like, you know, instead of looking at trading hours, you're actually looking at a 24-7 global market. So that, that's kind of one of the main benefits. And we think that that's one of those like enabling layers that will just like, who knows where that's going to end up in terms of benefit going forward. I just think that this is like, this is the direction that the market must take. You know, and, and while this is happening, you know, through the stuff that we're building, you know, the kind of the TradFi industries is working towards T plus one, you know, to be implemented next year, uh, at least in the US, and then we'll see what happens with the rest. So I think very exciting space uh, to be building something completely new in. And, you know, we're focusing a lot on like, you know, both being a regulated counterparty, but then also providing a trust structure for how RWAs are kind of proven to actually be backed by the proper underlying assets and not just some balance sheet or some derivative or some, you know, right. game theoretical price action. So those are really key elements. And then, yeah, we have some other pieces in that flow as well that are, that are important, such as redemption flows, obviously. So if I hold a token, how do I know that I actually have access or have the right ownership right to the underlying asset? And then so by redeeming, you can basically prove that, well, why don't you just redeem your token and then see what happens and then you get either the underlying asset itself or you get the economic value of the underlying asset sent to you. So that's well, how people can kind of verify. There's a, lot to, there's a lot to discuss there in terms of the implementation, but I just want to say, uh, before we started the show, my producer Arthur and I were batting around some ideas about why uh, you'd want to tokenize assets, because I think that is a question that people do ask unironically, like, it's interesting, but why do you guys want to do it? Uh, and sort of in my list was, you know, basically 24 by 7, 365 trading of all assets all the time the ability to have instant settlement and execution, uh, infinite fractionalization of assets. You can trade these in any size, uh, in any uh, in any fraction uh, of a whole. 
uh, atomic swaps and collateralization, the ability that you can tie assets together uh, in a way that we couldn't before. And of course, the ability uh, for better or worse to create an infinite variety of synthetic structured products uh, around these types of assets. But before we get too into the weeds here in terms of the potential future use cases and the opportunities here, I want to talk about exactly how you're implementing this. Uh, the devil is in the details as always. Talk a little bit about what you do in terms of ensuring that transparency uh, to people who want to invest in these products. Uh, and also explain a little bit how the functional mechanics of this works. I mean, the assets themselves, the underlying assets are not traded on chain. Uh, so there's always going to be some sort of delay uh, between uh, between the execution and, of course, the clearing and settlement of those assets. How do you manage those risks, uh, and how do you provide transparency so that uh, so that people who are investing get what they believe they're getting? So let's start actually with a lot of the trust elements because I think um, Timo sort of touched on sort of the um, the the separate you know issuance happening in a dedicated entity that is structured to be you know very very much insolvency. Proof. So even if you if you hold a token, it's very much like a depository receipt that allows you at any point in time to actually go to the central custodian and as you say, I want my stocks out or I want them to be liquidated or I want the redemption to happen. Right. So this is critical because it's actually you know, making this independent from us as an organization, us as individuals, us as you know as actors. All by all by we are regulated, which is another security layer on top of it. Right. So. We, we effectively went the extra mile to actually not just, you know, be, be qualified to do due to the issuances, but also to be qualified to do the trading and to do to do that actually under purview of regulatory, you know, views. Um, so th that's first of all, that's a full stack of things that we can go into detail of, you know, and, you know, basically that replicates itself on chain. We have basically, um, you know, transaction IDs that are tapped into the issuances. We have something called KYA, where you have know your asset data that is connected with the tokens, which then actually gives full conclusive transparency of what's what's actually this linked to, who are the, the participants that are in this whole equation, participating in different roles, et cetera. Um, but then again, also, if you, if you go actually to the issuance side, which is all linked on our site, you can actually go and drill down even into the individual stock purchases and you know it's it's all the documents are you know displayed live we're still working on actually getting direct access into the system of the central custodian which then actually you know number one we can offer to the customers then directly or over time then potentially actually make uh, have other people verify that not just the auditors but also other people actually holding the token uh, audit that too so it's a probably a very different quality of transparency that we're aiming to build here right. than has happened in the past. And it's challenging because, you know, some of these systems are not built for that kind of access and are basically sort of very hard to get into and actually make that data available in the most unbiased fashion. So let's talk a little bit about uh, how the functional mechanics of this works. I'm curious uh, how you guys handle uh, price discrepancies. Do you guys have to hold cash buffers against volatility uh, in terms of price changes? In other words, if you get uh, an order uh, where someone's buying the token, you have to step into the open market and buy the stock. If there's a delay uh, between when those two things can take place, for example, it happens after hours, how do you manage those price deltas? Yeah, so, so, so go, well, Timo. Okay. Um, yeah. So, so initially, like, because this is like the, let's call it the early days in, in this like market, right? So we, we decided to basically prime the pump by just like, you know, making balance sheet purchases to put out some tokenized stocks and bonds 
in order to basically demonstrate how this works and also that it works. We thought there was a lot of value in just being live with something that people can basically onboard and kick the tires with. And it's not some conceptual thing talking about, uh, you know, stuff happening in the future, but it's actually something right. if you have a MetaMask wallet, do you have a Polygon, you know, access, and then you have, you know, a bunch of coin there, USDC, then you can actually go and buy the digitized version of an Apple of an Apple share and, and try it out yourself. So that was the purpose of this like first phase. So let's just call that priming the pump to show how this works. Now, in order to scale this, so now comes the next phase, which is really to look at like, okay, so who are the market makers and the other institutional participants that we want to have part of this like, you know, ecosystem to make sure that there's basically sufficient participants that would want to have take on the role of basically, you know, making money off of the, you know, on off trading hours situations and price discrepancies that happen. And the way one, one of the ways that we're handling that today is basically by ourselves is just by um, removing and putting in orders uh, that follow basically the trading hours in the TradFi markets. So basically every right. morning we basically issue new DOTC orders on our system. So it's a decentralized OTC ordering system. And then you can just go and, and buy those tokens at that price that we've set on that particular morning. That's a pretty crude way of doing it. We're basically updating it every day, right? And, and basically um, managing it ourselves. Next step of this is definitely institutional participation. People want to move from like traditional equity market making into managing like, you know, these price discrepancies on, on chain and off chain. And so that's like the natural next step of this. So essentially what and you're saying- And also let me, let me add one thing. I think one, one thing that people misunderstand often is that you don't need to build like the depth of liquidity that actually matches the depth of liquidity of the financial markets, as long as you actually have the time closeness of actually doing the redemption on the financial markets, which means that if you, if you ask, say, okay, I have, I hold one Tesla stock and the market is open and I press a button and I request a redemption, it should trigger actually the immediate, you know, execution of that sale, get confirmed and even get the financing of the two, two and a half days of, um, of redemption before the settlement actually happens already done. So you can actually right there and then you can actually benefit from having an immediate settlement. That means that you don't have to build the same kind of depth and liquidity on chain that actually already exists in the financial market. So it's it's more that managing that whole bridging between traditional right. finance and the DeFi markets is gonna be key. Hey everyone, we're gonna take another quick break and hear a word from our partners. We'll be right back to the Real Vision Crypto Daily Briefing. That only works presumably if you can keep the, the time delay is very short, which means that you can only do it uh, effectively during this phase, at least uh, during hours when the market is open. Otherwise, you wind up accumulating de facto long or short positions relative to the right. stock, depending upon whether That's it's buy or sell. Correct. Yeah, really interesting. So tell us a little bit about who your customers are uh, and who you want to serve in this market. Yeah, so one one topic actually, um, and you had an excellent list that you listed up in terms of benefits there, and you know we subscribe to every one of them, and so, some actually being more valuable than others. But one one item missing on that list is obviously composability, right. which means that you know, and and you're started touching on it with the synthetic uh, portion, right? But I think composability is a big big step here, right? Because you know once you have these Lego pieces that can then be used to actually drive other derivative products. And those products being built on a smart contract, you know, in a transparent fashion, that is a big deal. So give you an example, if you actually have, you know, um, a, a sort of a, um, a usage fund that is driven out of Luxembourg, you know, 
that you know basically has a very simple allocation of category investments. So you say, okay, 25% energy and 50% tech and whatever, and then you pay you know 100 basis points or something like that to the administrator that does that. There's no actually active management there, but you still incur a lot of cost. Well, that kind of you know that kind of fund structure can be put into a smart contract. There's no no challenge there, right? So at that point in time. You know, there's a there's a huge amount of benefit, material benefits that actually users and, and and consumers of these kind of assets can get down the road in in creating new things. And by the way, then coming back to the customer question, so you know, there's a there's a whole range of customers that have the need in today's market. So it starts with you know backing of stable coins. You know, where we've seen obviously that stable coins that have been backed by only crypto assets have had a great challenge in certain market situations to actually sustain the value and. We've seen, you know, projects like MakerDAO already go in the direction of so-called real-world assets, you know, incorporating some of those, you know, T-bills, but more in a, in a sort of a much more static process. And the same applies to trading organizations that want to escape volatility. So far, they go mo mostly into USDC. Well, they could actually go into T-bills that have stability, but also have four and a half, maybe 5% of return that you know, they can actually rehab while they're exiting the market from, from a volatility perspective. So there's a, there's a bunch of organizations, centrally and decentralized organizations that actually can make use of this, um, that we're sort of having a lot of wholesale conversations with. Yeah, we should point out that those yields on treasuries, uh, that's today, God knows where we're going to be uh, in 12 to 24 months. Totally. Go ahead, yeah. Timo, please. Fair comments. Yeah, I think, and one of the key things here is, which is like why we decided to go down the path of building this on DeFi infrastructure and not just like a centralized, you know, uh, centrally limit order book uh, model, is that, you know, we, we kind of saw that the composability was, was this like key element where, by which if we can build all these assets onto chain and then basically connect that into existing structures, such as what, what MakerDAO and others have built, then it, it really kind of changes the game, right? Because like, the, for example, for MakerDAO, the whole design from the outset was to have everything kind of including liquidations of collateral to be based on smart contract logic. And I, I think like they've kind of removed away from that model now with a lot of the collateral that they're using. And now we are kind of, you know, providing this layer that enables them to go back to that model. And I think that's that's really cool. And that's kind of because that what that means is basically there's like full transparency as to what's happening um, on chain. And we think that has a lot of value. And, and again, it keeps coming back to what happened last year. It's just like nobody wants to see that kind of stuff again where nobody understands what's being rehypothecated, how and what's being sent where, and nobody knows where you know, all the assets went. Um, we kind of want to bring everything back into a more transparent environment and then also you know, working on making sure that, it's, that the collateral that's out there is, is actually solid. Well, you know that phrase about rehypothecation and all the challenges of not understanding where the transparency and the assets were, uh, that was true in November when we were talking about FTX. It was also true in 2007, 2008 when we were talking about the world's largest investment banks. Uh, so clearly there are some mm. challenges uh, here to solve. I wanted to jump in because we've got some great questions flowing in and I wanted to get them to you. The first one comes to us from Paul on the Real Vision website. Uh, lots of people have been using brokerage accounts for trading and investing for a long time. So who or what type of person Will this appeal to and another follow-on question which uh really dovetails nicely with that from youtube gr on youtube uh who is this available non-us citizens uh and how would dividends be catered for interesting question so the question uh first uh how do you uh who are you marketing to who's the audience for this uh and second how do you manage dividends um well uh, let me do the first one then so well so basically right now we're seeing that 
they're basically like call them institutional or crypto projects or institutional participants that are really the primary kind of um, uh, customer segment for us right now. There's there's a bunch of um, crypto projects as well as exchanges that actually want to have these assets available to them on chain. So, you know, as I mentioned, stablecoin projects, centralized exchanges want to go back and trade basically a combination of crypto and, and tokenized stocks as well, as proven by, you know, Bittrex. And even if I don't want to use FTX as a reference, they were kind of somewhat successful in trading stocks on that centralized venue, although it was kind of very difficult to understand, you know, what those stocks were actually represented by. Um, right. But so I think, you know, there's, there's really, this is like a kind of a B2B play from that point of view um, initially. But the, the value of having direct access, which I think is very powerful, like there's no like, you don't have to be a qualified purchaser, you don't even have to be an accredited investor, you can just be a, you know, a retail person that onboards with Swarm and then go and kick the tires and start using it. I think that's really powerful because we're seeing that, well, the, the, like the level of BizDev inbound uh, traffic that we're seeing right now is a direct outcome of people actually having tried out like you know, purchasing some of these uh, securities and assets. And it just kind of generates like a lot of demand and like imagination for people to start using this infrastructure. Now, like going beyond that, I think there's there's a lot of retail use cases end of the day as well, because mm -hmm. you want to activate your assets in a way that's not dictated by, you know, an isolated brokerage account. But if you can use, you know, your assets as collateral and then basically borrow stablecoin against them, well, you can do whatever you want with that stablecoin, right? So it just opens up like a much more kind of horizontal view of um, activating your your capital assets. Yeah, final question here comes to us from Ralph on the Real Vision website. How is the liquidity and how do you plan to attract additional liquidity? And I think uh, also probably part and parcel of that question is a point that you mentioned earlier, which is how do you manage uh, the impact of low liquidity while you're ramping up? You mentioned this in terms of trying to keep the time delays relatively short. Well, there's a, there's a couple things to add here. So first of all, the um, you know we, we have two different trading models that today are available on sort of our platform. One is actually an AMM trading pool, which actually incurs a huge amount of slippage if uh, if you actually have low liquidity actually in those trading pools. Right. Um, but you know that's why we actually developed the DOTC contract, which is basically an order order book like system, but it's more like in a smart contract. It's fully collateralized. So. Anyone can state their price and there's no slippage that is incurred. So it's basically just matching up with the prices that are actually incurred in the financial markets. And you can actually then, you know, not, not having any kind of discrepancies only because you have like a low liquidity pool that is available there. I just want to come back. And, and, that's, only during, and that's only during trading hours, right? That's yes, only that's only, only during trading hours. And effectively, that if the trading hours are then actually not live, then we basically pull back and it's free for all. Anyone can trade at any price. So... There is off-market trading hours on these these um, tokens that anyone can actually set their own price at, which you but know, then you get the um, slippage. Well, and that's anyone's decision, right? So right. you know, it's not us making and determining actually what every user uh, you know has in terms of like a trading trading uh, condition there. That's, it's, um, market, just, it's, it's, it's market based. If liquidity yeah, correct. slippage right. increases, uh, you as the trader bear the risk on that. Yeah, exactly. I just want to come back with the with the question that you had previously about the dividends, right? Because um, so anything, all, all this can actually be read up in the prospectuses that are linked on the site, just to, for anyone who's actually interested in more details. Um, you know, dividend distribution is one thing. There's a lot of questions around like how, how to actually do voting and how to do sort of proxy voting and how to incur all the governance around securities, et cetera. It's all sort of put down on paper. 
with regards to uh, the, um, the dividends, there's you know three different ways. One is actually we have right now with the T bills, we actually have you know recycling dividends that actually are incurred in the um, security itself. So in the end, if you if you buy a thousand units, actually there's there's more units or a higher value of units that incur over time. So that's actually baked into the smart contract, very much like it is on on uh, compound where actually then the claimable amounts claimable by one unit actually increase over time. So there's a, an implicit value increase in the token. But secondly, but if it's just ETFs, right, then they're, that's essentially baked in by the ETF provider. I mean, yeah, those there's two, two, versions of, two versions of ETF. One is distributing, one is not distributing, right? Now, if the, the second version is actually, and this is actually also built for private markets and private players that want to distribute um, their proceeds, um, there's, a, there's a way to then actually, once the distributions are being received, um, they can actually convert that into USDC or any kind of stablecoin that they define, and they can make that claim, claimable to the holders of the token, which means that you start to actually sort of have real, like, ongoing sort of rewards that you can get out of it, and then you can over, over time actually, you know, start to stream that also into a claimable amount. So you actually have the underlying security, and then you have the, this, the streaming rewards coming back, you know, which is kind of appealing in comparison to actually just you know, quarterly distributions on the securities market. Yeah, and then you have to figure out how to manage those pass-throughs and the dates. And the, I mean, boy, that's uh, that's interesting and challenging stuff. Uh, fantastic conversation, guys. Unfortunately, we're out of time. I mean, I think uh, our viewers and our listeners probably get the sense that this is very early, but it's an incredibly exciting space to be in. Yeah, with you, yeah, yeah, thanks for having us. I mean, it's like, it's, it's really cool to talk about these things and kind of spread the word. So thanks for yeah, letting us do that. So. Timo, Philip, thank you both so much for joining us. Yes, All right. Thanks. Great talk. Bye. Bye. Uh, that's it for today's show. Uh, remember to sign up for Real Vision Crypto. It's free, of course, at realvision.com forward slash crypto. That's realvision.com forward slash crypto. Join us again tomorrow. We'll have a special Asking for a Friend show explaining how to set up a wallet. See you at 9 a.m. Pacific, noon Eastern, 5 p.m. London time. Thanks for watching, everybody. Have a great afternoon. What's up, revolutionaries? Thanks for tuning in. For more content like this, head over to realvision.com and get unfiltered access to the very best, brightest, and biggest names in finance.